Wonderful. All right, I'm going to transition us now into a time of reflecting on some scripture, of hearing the word, and I'm looking forward to us chatting more after the service. I am, um, I truly didn't mean that as passive aggressive, you don't have to laugh. <laughs> no, this is an important time in our, in our weekly rhythm, so. Um, before we begin with uh, my message, I did have a personal update that I have not shared from the front, but that I've told some of you, maybe not all, and that's that I'm pregnant. And that, <laughs> and that I'm, uh, Dave and I are really excited to welcome a baby in February. And uh, yeah, so you, I'm sure you'll be hearing more about what that will mean for the life of our congregation while I'm away, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get to that. One of the things that um, uh, I was thinking about with regards to this is that uh, we were, Kevin and I were talking about which virtues and vices each of us would take. And I was thinking about all the cravings that I've had and all the hunger cues that have just arrived unexpectedly. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll take gluttony. <laughs> I'll take gluttony because uh, my stomach is in a weird place. So, <laughs> um, but I, honestly, as I've been thinking about gluttony, um, one of the things that's really struck me is that it feels kind of weird. To, it's a weird one. And it actually feels kind of like silly to talk about. I don't know if you get that sense, that it feels like we, we take ones like greed and, heaven forbid, lust, you know, vanity. Like those are very serious. And we immediately think, oh, I need to examine my heart about that because that's, that's important and weighty. And then we get to gluttony and we kind of laugh. And so I was thinking about that, like thinking with a lot of honesty about that, because, you know, we, we've been talking about the fact that throughout church history, there are seven uh, vices that have been talked about since the very early days of church history, and uh, sometimes they're called deadly sins, and one of them is gluttony. And that's kind of weird. But I, as I was thinking about, about, you know, why is this weird? Why do we treat this as a, like a silly one? I, I honestly got thinking about how, very truly, I, I think that one of, the thing, one of the reasons why it gets treated as a joke is because I think we don't recognize just how truly touchy a subject eating is. You know, for, for some of us, maybe we have lots of opinions about what to eat. Maybe some of us are vegan or some of us are vegetarian. Some of us, oh, it can only go down the organic aisle, like whatever, I don't know. And, and obviously we also, and it needs to be named, like have a backdrop of diet culture that affects all of this, of um, you know, language that gets used in, in our conversations and certainly in advertising and in wellness culture of like, you know, there's only certain ways to eat and if you eat wrong, then you're bad. Or if you look wrong, it probably means you eat wrong, which means you're bad. And all of that sits in the background and that causes a lot of shame and a lot of um, anxiety and certainly for some of us it manifests in mental health disorders and you know if if you don't experience that someone you know does and that and that sits in the background and so we become uncomfortable about the subject and maybe we maybe we treat it as a joke or maybe we don't talk about it at all and then it never gets talked about in church I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on gluttony before so we're gonna give this a shot um, but, but, but we don't talk about it in church and then it gets disregarded as really a, an important part of our spiritual life. 
And then I, I believe that what happens is that the, the culture we live in, what I sometimes call the empire of never enough, just I think relishes in the fact that we just simply don't talk about it. So we're going to try to talk about it this morning. And uh, in order to do that, I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy 6. And if you would like to follow along in your Bibles, you're welcome to. Uh, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible, so it's kind of near the front. You're also welcome to just sit and listen. And this is an interesting passage. It comes at a moment when Moses and the Israelites, so what happened was they fled slavery in Egypt, which was a very oppressive time, and, and then they entered into the wilderness, and they spent many, 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 many years wandering in the wilderness. And then they, they were always kind of aware that what would happen is they would arrive in a land promised to their forebears, a land that they, they called it the promised land. And they were always, I imagine them just walking through the wilderness just thinking, this is brutal, but what's getting me there is remembering the promised land. And they would tell their children about it, and they would talk about it day in, day out, and it was a huge part of their life of worship. We're going to arrive in the promised land. And in this passage, these sets of chapters, they are standing on the shores of the Jordan River. And on the other side of that river is that promised land. But before they enter, their leader, Moses, gathers them together and gives them a series of kind of exhortations or like, like pep talks. And right before this passage is um, a famous passage, one that, one that uh, Judaism, people in Judaism will uh, quote frequently. It's called the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's a very important moment. In many ways, it's the epicenter, like the thematic epicenter of this whole book. And then, starting at verse 10, Moses says this to the people. He says, when Yahweh, your God, brings you into the land which was promised to your ancestors, Sarah and Abraham, Rebekah and Isaac, and Leah and Rachel and Jacob, a land filled with good things, great and prosperous cities that you did not build, houses full of good things that you did not gather, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, take care not to forget Yahweh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so Moses is telling them some really good news. Really good news. Music to the ears of people who have just been wandering in the wilderness. He says, you're about to become super prosperous. You're about to become privileged people, you could say. You're, you're going to enter into houses or uh, cities, first of all, that you didn't have to build. You're going to wander into houses and they're just going to have fridges full of stuff that you didn't have to gather. You, they didn't have fridges. And, and they're gonna have, you're, you're going to have wells that you're not going to have to dig. 
and you're gonna and you're gonna have vineyards and olive groves like vineyards and olive groves those are perennial plants so what that means is that like if you want a vineyard you have to have started five years ago but they're gonna just be able to wander in and enjoy some enjoy some good food just straight from the olive grove no need to cultivate wow and with that very good news immediately comes a warning a severe warning he says when all that happens when you have everything you could eat and more everything you could need or want and more don't forget don't forget there's a huge threat that comes with prosperity and that is forgetting he knew that, that there would be a temptation immediately when they enter into that land to forget that there was a God who miraculously freed them from the land of Egypt. And, and, and a God who, when they were wandering in the wilderness and they didn't have enough to eat, just like brought them manna and quail and everything, just enough to get by. I mean, for the last many, 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 many years in the wilderness, they, they had nothing but God. They could just, they, they, they had no choice but to cling to God. But they're going to step into the promised land. And there's just going to be vineyards and olive groves. And there's just going to be food they didn't gather. And there's going to be no need to call out to God. No need to go outside and see if he provided manna. They don't need that anymore. And when that happens... It becomes so hard to remember and so easy to forget. And the thing is that forgetting God just has consequences. It just has natural consequences. When we forget that there's a giver of all good gifts, when we forget that there's a source transcendent above us that sustains us wherever we are, both in wilderness and in promised land, when, and when this just becomes all there is, just me and you and, and the things we possess, then we start to just live for, for me and, and for the things that we possess. And then what do we do? We gorge ourselves without restraint. Why not possess more? Why not eat more? Why not enjoy more, more, more? There is not a shadow of a doubt that we live in a city we didn't build, in houses full of food we didn't need to gather, drinking from wells we didn't dig. We don't even know where our water comes from. <laughs> Vineyards and olive groves that we didn't need to plant. And of course, any of us who are settlers have so much that we could reflect on with regards to that, of course. But whatever the case may be, we just do live in a time in history that is absolutely uniquely prosperous. And that doesn't mean that all of us get to enjoy that prosperity and there, there's so much more we could do. And many of us don't have the privilege of walking into a kitchen full of food. Of course that's the case. And, and that's something to lament and to mourn. But when you look at all of history, 
We have never lived in a time like this. You know, for most of human history, for most of the time that our species has been around, we were hunter-gatherers. If we wanted something to eat, we would need to go outside and, and gather something or hunt something to eat, and that was the only way it was going to happen. And we did that for many, many, many years, and then what happened? Well, then we started to notice, oh, I could actually cultivate a little piece of land, and I could, I could farm it, and I could collect seeds, and I could sow them at the right time, and then I could have something to eat. I could put down some, some cattle or some chickens, and I can eat those two in due time, and we became agrarians. And then for the last many, 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 many centuries, we were agrarians, and that was how we got our food. If you wanted food, you had to reap, and you had to sow. And what are we now? We're grocery store shoppers. That's literally what we are. That's how you could define our relationship to food entirely. We go and we walk through many, many, many aisles and we have everything that we could imagine. We have endless options. We have endless variety. We have endless supply. It never runs dry. We go home and we fill our houses with food we literally didn't plant. And we reap what we literally don't sow. Time after time, we have cereal, we have frozen meals, we have milk, we have seven different types of bread. It's just a, a world without end. And like the Israelites, when they arrive in the promised land, we are just, we are at severe and dangerous risk of that forgetfulness. We're at severe and dangerous risk of that forgetfulness, forgetting our story from which we came from, forgetting the stories of the food that comes to us, and forgetting, of course, forgetting that there would even be a creator God that sustains all things, that nourishes us each day. I think it's absolutely no surprise and no shock that we've never lived in a less religious time than now. Absolutely no surprise, no shock. Because we're grocery store shoppers. And just like the Israelites, forgetting God has natural consequences. Prosperity leads to forgetfulness, leads to gluttony. So if you wanted to examine your heart to see, okay, do I have gluttony in my heart at this time? Which is really what we, what we want to do in these sermons. We want, to, we want to start to think, how can I examine my own heart and see if there's any way in, we, in me that I can become more attuned to the life of Christ and to enjoy that beautiful life of goodness and grace that he offers us through virtue. So if you wanted to today say, am I a gluttonous person? Do I have gluttony in my heart? What would that look like? What does gluttony look like in 2023? Well, it's interesting. The ancients, to go way back to what they were talking about 2,000 years ago with regards to these things, they, were, they would talk about vice as existing on, two spectru on a spectrum with two poles. 
It's fascinating. There wasn't just one way for vice to look. There was usually two ways, one on one side and one on the other. Both of them were extreme, and that was what made them a vice. And so there are two types of gluttony. There's the gluttony of excess, first of all. And this is a, this is a gluttony of never having enough. It's a gluttony of enjoying, but then never stopping enjoying, of eating something and being like, that was so good, I'm going to have it again and again and again and again and again. It's, it's never, never reaching that point of being like, wow, that was great. I'm satisfied. That's a vice. Gluttony on the other end of the spectrum, way on the other side, is, it's really interesting. They would call it the gluttony of insensitivity. And this was actually a, a lack of appreciation for food, which was also gluttony. It, it would maybe look like, like never feeling contented by it, and so never feeling any need to really relish in it or really savor it. You know, if I were to picture insensitivity, it might look like, it might look like kind of just getting home and being like, oh crap, I haven't thought about what to eat. I'm just going to like grab a pizza pocket, down it, and then go to bed. Or, um, you know, um, eating your food in front of a TV. You know, just you're, you're not thinking about what you're eating. It's it, uh, you're, what you're eating has nothing to do with with any sort of satisfaction you're experiencing. You're just sort of downing some calories, and and food is left completely unappreciated. That is also gluttony. And, and you know, just for a moment, I I would name behaviors for those things, right? My pizza pocket example. Those are, those are interesting ways to uh, visualize what a vice is. But a vice, and hopefully we'll talk about this lots more over the coming weeks, but a vice is not a behavior per se. A vice gets manifested in behavior, but a vice is a state of the heart. And so that's why we need to examine our hearts and not look to our neighbor and say, oh, I know how they eat and they're gluttonous. You don't know. You don't know because you don't know what's happening in their heart. As we think about am I gluttonous, it's, it's what's my relationship with, with the, the task of eating and how does that exist in my heart. When you humbly notice that there is something in your heart that is a vice, in order to receive life to the full that Christ offers us, it needs to be rooted out. It needs to be rooted out. And so what does that look like? Well, the ancients, again, they talked about vice being on two poles, the two extremes. And virtue, virtue was at the center of those extremes. Virtue was, you might think of it as the middle way, the road to wisdom, the, the, the center line. That is, that is virtue. And in, in, in the task of, in the case of gluttony, we have excess on one side, insensitivity on another side, and the middle road of wisdom, the virtue, they called temperance. Temperance. Temperance is not indulging in excess, nor having no concern at all. It's just a measured, mindful, care-filled, sincere enjoyment. That's what sits at the center. That's that life to the full that virtue offers us. And so I have a story for you. Um, 
background, remember that I'm pregnant, okay? So um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, uh, Dave and I were driving, I think we were driving to his parents' house. It's only about 20 minutes away. We were shooting down cannon, and suddenly I was like, I have never been this hungry in my whole life. I don't know, I, when we left, I didn't feel this way at all, but now if I don't eat something right now, I'm, I think I'm gonna die. I need something right now. We have to stop as soon as we can. Thank goodness there's a Tim Hortons everywhere. So we, you know, we go into the nearest Tim Hortons. We go through the drive-thru. I order a, a snack wrap, and then we go to the window where we're about to receive it and pay and whatnot. And, uh, and we wait at the window for, for 10 seconds and 15 seconds, and then like 30 seconds, and then like, <laughs> like a minute, you know? And I'm kind of like looking at the employees going like, what you guys doing? Like, just wondering. They, they looked busy, but you know, then two minutes went by, and then three minutes, and like, I'm about to die, right? Like, I'm, like, I'm so hungry. And then I think that like, I think four or five minutes went by, which felt like 15 minutes. And, and then thank goodness, they, they, you know, they open the window, pay, I get my wrap, and I just scarf it down. Because I'm so hungry. And I start to suddenly feel satisfied, thank goodness. And then I'm about halfway through my wrap, and I look at this wrap, and I'm just like, why did that take so long? That was my first thought. My second thought was, why in the world do I feel entitled to a snack wrap just like that? Why in the world? And I look at the wrap, and you know what was on the wrap? There was lettuce on the wrap. There's lettuce on it. And I don't know who grew that lettuce, but I actually have never had luck with lettuce in my garden. I don't know what it is. But so someone probably had like maybe a greenhouse to optimize conditions somewhere in the world. Honestly, it could be anywhere in the world, which is kind of weird, but kind of fascinating. And there was, a, there was at one point a, a, a plant that had life that, that did the whole photosynthesis synthesis thing. I don't even know what it is. And, and that grew and then somebody picked it and, and shipped it somewhere and then it landed right here in my hands. That's so interesting. And there was tomato on the wrap. You know, tomatoes, they, they need super nutrient-dense soil, and they, and they grow, and then you need to constantly prune them so they don't get angry. And there needs to be pollinators that, like, pollinate the, the, the flower to become a fruit. And somewhere in the world, again, I have no idea where. And I'm not saying that there wasn't weird GMO, like, chemical weird stuff going on to make this a really good tomato. But whatever the case may be, that tomato had a whole life of its own before it arrived right here where I'm enjoying it. I mean, goodness gracious, there was chicken on that wrap. And again, I'm not saying that it wasn't weird chicken, like kind of like strange processed like chicken, but like probably, probably somewhere in the world at some point there was a chicken a chicken that had a mother and a father, and they had mothers and fathers. A chicken that grew from an egg into a real little chick, and then and then became a, a real like a big chicken, and, and then and then someone just someone turned it into meat. And uh, listen, I don't know how it got to me, but this chicken is an unlikely, remarkable, marvelous mystery to me. Food is a miracle. Food is a miracle. 
good gift that I received when I was hungry came not from Tim Hortons employees, not from the CEO of a big corporation, Loblaws. It, it didn't come from the agribusiness men and women. It, it truly did actually come from something transcendent over all of us, something that sustains all things, someone who is a loving enough source to nurture us each day, someone who deserves our thanks. When you live in a great and prosperous land, says Moses, do not forget Yahweh. I want to suggest that the road away from excess and away from insensitivity towards temperance, that that road is, I think it's paved with gratitude. It's paved with a contemplation of the rich, deep, fulsome goodness of food. It's recognizing that food is actually sacred. It's sacred in, in most spiritual tra traditions that I know of, you know, whether it be the like very thoughtful mindfulness of halal in Islam or, you know, in, in the Jewish culture, there's a golden pot uh, on their Ark of the Covenant where they keep manna, where they keep bread to remember the sacredness of receiving enough each day. And for us, I mean, how often do we think about the fact that at the very center of our altarpiece is nothing more or less than food? Food is sacred. It's always been sacred. But it's been desacralized in our time. And, and the road to temperance, the road to just enjoying enough is a resacralization of food. Recognizing that eating is always a sacrament. It's an, it's an offering given to us by the creator. It's, it's, you know, part of ridding ourselves of gluttony means speaking about food with reverence. Maybe trying to grow a little bit of food so we can have the reverence that our agrarian, hunter-gatherer, forebearers always knew about. Maybe finding healthy limits of not overindulging, but just having, you know, just enough, just a bite, and being like, wow, that was enough, and more than enough, and I'm satisfied. All these things draw us into delight, into savoring, into a thanksgiving that wards off vice. Meester Eckhart is a mystic from a few hundred years ago, and he has this quote, and he just simply says, if the only prayer you pray your whole life is thank you, that is enough. One tried and true practice that I've been meditating on is one that maybe you grew up with, if you grew up in a religious setting, or maybe one that you even still do sometimes, like maybe when you're eating with other people, um, it's really entirely uncomplicated. It's just saying grace. It's just saying grace. If the only prayer you pray is thank you, that's enough. I wonder what it would look like for us to reclaim giving thanks before anything we eat. 
before putting anything in our mouths, just, wow, thank you. I think that there could be something extremely profound, extremely countercultural about having a piece of food before you, whether it's a granola bar or, um, you know, a lunch at your office or a meal with your children or your housemates, to just, before you eat it, just kind of look at it. Take a deep breath. Smell its fragrance. Consider its history. And remember that there is a loving God who gives you that good food and saying thank you. And then enjoying, savoring, delighting. I want to challenge you this week to try that. To see what that does. Think of it as a soul-shaping habit. A soul-shaping habit that returns you to, to virtue away from vice. Something that can transform you by its very ritual. And feel the way that it draws you away from insatiable needs for more, away from numb mindlessness and back into a relationship with Yahweh. Back into remembering, not forgetting Yahweh. Remember that there is a giver of all good gifts. Thanks be to God.